Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Brewed Kentucky Politics. Today is 322-21. What a wonderful, bright, sunny Monday it is. And, and today, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the legislative session here in the state is not over. We have a opinion piece wrote in the uh, Herald uh, Leader from the DNC State Chair Coleman Eldridge that we want to talk about. And, you know, I want to take a moment with, with China bagging on us and, and some different things like that. I want to take a moment to say, you know, what it means to love your country and really kind of, I don't know, get that message out there. But first, guys, please uh, share these videos out. Uh, hit the share button down there. Get as many people watching as we can. Like I said, uh, I think we might be one of the few true conservative uh, podcasts out there. You can also... Uh, check us out on the podcast on Spotify and Apple, Fresh Brewed Kentucky Politics. If you're listening there, please give us a review on Apple, I guess that's a thing. And, and yeah, hit that share button, show your support. Also, come by the coffee shop. It's a nice day. We got the patio furniture out. We open up that garage door. It gets real nice real quick. With that being said, and having expected all of you to have hit the share button, let's dig into it today. The legislative session is not over. We do have two days left of the legislative session. Most of that will be used to overcome vetoes, which is great. But also considering what those two days are, there's only a few things that can occur. Pain and suffering. <laughs> Pain and suffering on us. The, the constituents. And disappointment. And depression. That's it. That's all that can happen. So nothing really good or sweeping can be passed because, of course, it can be vetoed by the governor. So, you know, naturally taking advantage of that, the I'm sure you're going to see the, the GOP pass some sort of bills that will be vetoed that then they will say, hey, as soon as we get back into session, we're going to go ahead. We're going to pass that one right there. Uh, that is a really common thing they like to do in the last couple of days. On top of that, so that's where you'll see what the priority priorities they want to pretend to have, but they really don't have to keep you guys engaged and to give them talking points and fundraising points over the next eight months or so. <clears throat> but that won't stop them from passing pain and suffering bills. What I mean by that? Well, they're talking about possibly doing the gas tax, of course. These are things that the Democrats and Republicans, I guess, agree upon, or at least that they pass it. They think the governor will... Uh, go ahead and sign it clearly. And then, of course, all they could do is also disappoint us by failing to overcome the veto of some key bills uh, that we'd love to see passed. And, 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 you know, that just happens, right? Sometimes you just get disappointed when it comes down. So these last two days, really, all we can expect is, is disappointment, sorrow, despair, terrible things. But to cap that all off, we've got a uh, opinion piece here in the News News Herald that was wrote by uh, Coleman Eldridge. Coleman Eldridge is the uh, Kentucky State DNC chair, and and he wrote a opinion piece uh, in the Herald Leader. And I'm I'm going to go through this piece, and I'm going to stop probably pretty often and push back on things and and push forward on things. And so if it gets real annoying. Well, you can just read the article yourself. Um, it was in the the opinion section for today's paper. Uh, if you don't get the paper, I don't blame you. Um, I myself 
Um, actually subscribe to the online version for you guys. So I'm one of those few people keeping them going. So here we go. Uh, Coldman Eldridge here. We faced a challenging year. That's, that's true. Together we have endured a global pandemic that has put health and financial well-being of hundreds of thousands of Kentuckians at risk. Okay. Let's stop right here. I guess you could say the global pandemic has put hundreds of thousands of Kentuckians at risk health-wise. But financial-wise, that's all on you guys. COVID itself doesn't come. It's not like when COVID comes along, it starts robbing people of their money. It's the decisions made by the government and those in power that created the economic despair. Truly did. But he continues, more than 5,000 families like mine are grieving the loss of loved ones. Many of our communities have suffered destructive ice storms and flooding. Our small businesses have struggled. Put simply, Kentuckians need help. Oh, God. Okay, so only one of those things that he talked about, the COVID, I guess, uh, deaths and the, well, you can't, um, I'm not going to blame them on, on Bashir, but everything else in there is the fault of Bashir. But yet they're saying, hey, Kentuckians need help. Yeah, Kentuckians need help from you. That's one of the most frustrating things you see about the, the Democrats when they're talking about uh, COVID relief. And they're talking about people being in trouble and people needing hurt and we need to help them. You were the ones who hurt them in the first place. You were the ones who broke their leg and now you're saying, oh my gosh, if only we can get them a crutch. You broke my leg. Maybe don't do that. However, we continue here. Governor Bashir provided the legislator with a balanced and responsible budget that provide relief to so many in need of help right now. His focus not only in providing relief now, but investing in the people of our Commonwealth in doing so, betting that an empowered Kentucky economy can shape a brighter future for all of us. Well, let's talk about that. But investing in the people for our Commonwealth. The government doesn't invest. It's your money, people. It is your money. It is your money. They have taken it from you. And now they're giving you a small percentage of it back and calling it an investment in the people. The government doesn't invest. The government doesn't make anything. The government doesn't make money. It taxes you. Stop looking at the government to make investments. To, to say you're making investments means you're going to get a return on your dollar. To get a return on your dollar means you're trying to make a profit. First off, government doesn't isn't supposed to make a profit, but they're also not supposed to go into debt, right? They're supposed to break exactly even every year. That's what they're supposed to do because they're supposed to spend exactly what they brought in. They don't keep any of it because if they have too much in the coffers, that means they have taxed you too much. And if they have to spend beyond what they're doing, that means they're doing too much. But yet, here they go saying that uh, Kentucky uh, needs the Commonwealth. The government needs to be investing in the people. Once again, the government doesn't, doesn't invest in people. I continue. Yet Republicans in Frankfurt have chosen to abandon Kentuckians rather than providing much-needed aid to our family, small business owners, and communities. Now, actually, I agree with you there. But I think we agree on different terms. I think... You think the Republicans in Frankfurt have abandoned Kentuckians because they're not doing more of your socialist-type programs and spendings you want to see the government doing when they're investing in the people. 
Yet I think the Republicans have failed in Frankfurt, and, and many people join me in thinking this way because they have failed to remove the government from our lives, providing much-needed aid to our families. You know what aids your families most? You stop taxing them so much, and you stop getting involved in their lives so much, and you stop arresting them for trying to just simply run their businesses, small business owners. You know what helps them? They don't want your money. We don't want your money. We want you to leave us alone. We want to be able to operate how we can. Governor Bashir handed the legislator. I'm continuing here. Governor Bashir handed the legislator 600 million in one-time funds. Governor Bashir recommends sending those dollars to where they're needed most, directly to Kentuckians. What did the Republicans decide to do with the money? At least 650 million in tax breaks for those at the very top. Pause. Tax breaks. I'm not for them unless they're for everyone, but. You act like, okay, so he gave you $600 million in one-time funds. But what did Republicans do with that $600 million? Well, apparently they spent $650 million in tax breaks. That's, they make it sound like it's, it's, it's this insane amount because that's $50 million than what they just brought up. I said they spent $600 million in one-time funds. They're spending $650 of that in tax breaks. That makes it sound like they're giving direct money to it. No, tax breaks are simply that... The governor has, um, or sorry, the government has issued a tax break to incentivize certain behavior. Something I'm not in favor of because I think everybody should get the tax break. And I believe you're admitting that you're taxing way too much if you have to offer a tax break to get somebody to come and compete. However, uh, to, to sit there and equate $650 million to the same as 600, spending $600 million is, is inaccurate. $650 million tax breaks is not the same as spending $600 million. Millions diverted from our public schools. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get there. We'll turn around to there. And over 700, I, I love how they say that too, millions diverted from our public schools. Fayette County schools, I'm sorry, across the state have never spent so much per student before. I mean, here in Fayette County schools, they were spending like about 15500 per student. They're now spending 17200 this year because of the government money that's been kicked in, the extra government money that's been kicked in. But they say millions diverted from our public schools. And over $700 million in the state's rainy day fund, which was already at record funding levels under... Governor Bashir. So basically they're saying, hey, the Republicans did bad because they're not spending it on the welfare programs that we're going to call investments, right? They're instead deciding to save it for in case stuff for in case stuff happens, which, you know, after coming out of a pandemic where you saw a bunch of things happen and you saw a, a federal government that's that isn't handing out money or handing out money improperly or locked up, which it should be. Um, and, and what I mean by that is they shouldn't be, it shouldn't be super easy necessarily to get money out of the federal government it should be deliberate, but the federal government shouldn't take so much at the same time. And so they're saying, Hey, you know, I recognize that this occurs. Maybe we need a little bit more money in our savings account than we really thought of. In fact, I would say you are fiscally unwell. If you yourself are not looking at what just happened during the pandemic and saying, maybe I need to save a little bit more than I was before. Because it's very likely and it's very possible that you came into that. You didn't have much in your rainy day fund. You realized you needed rainy days could be a lot longer than you thought they would, especially when Governor Bashir's in charge of the economy. And so you're saying, hey, maybe we need to put a little bit more money in that fund 
just to keep us solvent. I'd say that's kind of fiscally responsible. Now, personally, I'd love to see the money pay off some debts. I'd love to see the money um, complete out the contracts, these crappy contracts we're already engaged in, so that way we can start fresh with better, lower cheap uh, contracts and, and, and agreements. I don't mind it being saved, though, for a rainy day fund when we just came out of one and are coming out of one of the longest rainy days that has ever occurred. The GO, returning back to the article, the GOP budget lacks vision and fails to invest in our people when they need it the most. Once again, government does not invest in people. And what's worse is, is as I'm saying this, this is the DNC state chair for Kentucky. There are some Republicans that think this way. There are Republicans that think that the government needs to be investing in the people. The government, once again, does not make money. The government does not invest in people. What they do is they take your money, they take their vigorous, their vig, off the top, and then they give you back less of your money than you gave them, and now they're sitting here spitting in your face trying to call it an investment. It's not an investment. I'd be, it'd be investment in me if you left me the money and I could spend it myself. We continue. Instead of helping small businesses, the Republican budget removes Governor Bashir's $220 million investment in direct relief to Kentucky individuals and businesses. Pause there. I'm a business owner. I would have benefited from that. I personally pushed to have this dropped. I personally was pushing to have it dropped. Why? First, I don't need a government handout. Two, at this point, most businesses are doing well enough that still exist that, that a little bit of help might help them out. Don't get me wrong. But what I would really rather see any help going to in the business world would be help to people who've already lost their businesses. If the government is going to give out help, which is nothing more than them giving that crutch back after they broke your leg and now they're graciously giving you your crutch back and you're supposed to say thank you with a smile on your face. But if they're going to do that, they should be giving it back to the businesses that have already lost everything. They shouldn't be just shelling out money to businesses that still exist, just assuming we need help. We don't necessarily need help. A lot of businesses that are in business right now don't need the help because things are coming back. In fact, Governor Bashir, I think almost every single restaurant would agree that they'd rather you remove all the COVID restrictions than give us $220 million. I don't think I'm alone in saying that at all. We continue, removes his investments in local health departments. Well, we've seen local health departments. We've seen what they do. Apparently, they have the money to be harassing these small business owners. I mean, they've got the money to be going into these Louisville bars. Uh, and, and I don't know if anybody saw me post that article from up in Louisville where uh, over the St. Patty's Day, the health department's literally harassing these bar owners on what is historically one of their bigger days. It's St. Patty's Day. It's the day to drink that green beer. Even Catholics get a couple days off Lent, I do believe, for that, right? And you get to feast and everything else. And, and yet we see the health departments in Louisville stepping up their enforcements and continuing to attack the small business industry. And of course we're going to say, well, it appears to look at that. The health department's got enough money to do this. We need to be making cuts. And I can tell you, I, I, I firsthand know these health departments have more than enough money. Trust me, they spend it like drunken sailors on stupid, silly things. 
and I'm saying this, and, and maybe one day I'll, I'll go into it and everything else, but you look at some of these health department budgets, it is disgusting what they spend money on. It's disgusting. They spend money on facilities that you would never see a private company of their size, of their building size, spend money on. You, you wouldn't see it. But yet they do. So yeah, we need to make some cuts to the local health department because apparently they've got enough money on hand to be out there acting as Andy's Gestapo to be attacking small business owners. I think a lot of people out there are suddenly asking themselves, what is the use of the health departments? What do they actually do? I mean, they do needle exchange. They do the WIC program, which out of, honestly, out of the, the welfare programs, the WIC program is probably the one I'm most supportive of. But yeah, I think, you know what? I think they can make some cuts and makes deep cuts to healthcare coverage for Kentuckians in the middle of a health crisis. Are we in the middle of a health crisis? I know how they say a health crisis too. Maybe that's to say that we're just in the middle of a health crisis in general. Maybe they're not talking about in the middle of a pandemic. I keep hearing people say that. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I feel like we should be at the end. And if this is just the middle, if this is the eye of the storm, I have no idea where we're going to be when this storm ends. I have no clue. And then we get to what I consider the, the biggest Pinocchios of them all. The GOP also, this is continuing in the article, the GOP also continues their war on public education, gifting the wealthy with vouchers that will take dollars away from school districts to send them to private schools with little accountability. Oh my gosh, I want to flip a table. Do you have any clue how far off from the market is? Let me tell you what is school choice light does. It provides $5 million in tax incentives for people to donate money to nonprofits to then give means tested. You have to qualify for free and reduced lunch in order to qualify for them. Means tested scholarships to private schools. That's what it does. Continues their war on public education, gifting the wealthy with vouchers. They just provided a way for children of lower socioeconomical class to go to private schools, opportunities they have never had the chance to do. It is a means-tested scholarship funded through tax incentives. And you're going to say you're gifting the wealthy, the wealthy with vouchers? They'll take dollars away from the school districts? I would love for you to say that. When these scholarships start being rolled out and given to those poor children up in Louisville and Lexington and Kenton County and northern Kentucky areas, you're, because, of course, it couldn't happen in, in, in rural communities. They needed it to only happen in these communities over 80,000. I'm dead serious. That's the rule. You've got to have over a population of over 80,000 in the county to qualify. And I'd love nothing more. To, then to this intellectual who's lying to your face, Coleman Eldridge, DNC state chair, to look that small child in the face and call him wealthy. I'd love for him to look that child from lower socioeconomical class getting the opportunity to have the private schooling he will never or she will never have the chance to have again and look at them and say this this is gifting to the wealthy this is a bad program 
I can't believe I get attacked for supposedly being not super truthful when I post quotes from articles. I post a full article in the comments, but because I post a quote from the article and I didn't post the whole thing because it doesn't fit in a photo. And people tell me I'm, I'm, oh, well, look at him. He's lying to fit a narrative. This man is literally lying to you about what it does. About what it does. It gives kids of lower socioeconomical class and opportunities. They have to qualify for free and reduced lunch. And all those children who apply have to apply first in order then for it to even be available on a lottery system to people who don't pass the means test. And it's only $5 million a year over five years. That's $25 million total. That's $5 million a year. That is a small percentage of the school budget. And it does not affect these rural communities at all. Yeah, he's going to sit there and lie to your face, telling you this is the worst thing in the world. As he's providing, we are providing educational opportunities for high-quality schools to the kids that wouldn't have that opportunity. And it is disgusting for them to lie to you like this. Sorry, I got a little fired up there. I just I get really upset when I see high members of the DNC party literally lying like this, just outright. And I'll call it out on both sides of the aisle. You guys know I will call it out when the Republicans do it too. But don't lie about what a bill does because it doesn't fit your narrative. Piece of garbage. Gone are the investments, returning to the article. Gone are the investments in recruiting and retaining the very educators who moved heaven and earth to provide for our children during this crisis. Okay. The DNC is so blind and so full of themselves if they think at this point in time is when to bring this up. Listen, teachers have, have been crying to the unions to want to be able to go back, and they haven't been. And teachers do deserve to be paid for their, what they're doing. And I hold to you, considering what you, the average bachelor degree is compared to the average teacher salary, that teachers are properly currently compensated for the time they give. And that's a debate we can have at another time. And, of course, every single teacher is going to say no the same way. I don't think I'm paid enough to sit here in front of you guys because I get paid nothing to tell you guys <laughs> to, to give my political commentary, just like I think I'm not paid enough to make coffee or whatever else I do. Right? If you ask anybody, do you want more money, they're going to say yes. But I, I, to pretend, I, I saw somebody post this the other day to sit there and be like, you know, you know who needs a bonus this year? Teachers need a bonus this year. They say this is the hardest teachers have ever worked. They haven't even seen the kids for a year. This is the hardest they've ever worked. That makes me worried about how hard they're working in the classroom. I don't think that's true. I'm not saying teachers haven't worked hard. It's a different challenge. I am certain it is. And, and, you know, it's a difficult challenge. I'm sure they just want to reach out and have helped those children through the computer screens through all this. They need to be crying out to their unions to get better reform. I continue in the article. Republicans unable to stand against spousal abuse in their own ranks. <laughs> Go forth joke. Cut the governor's allocation to domestic violence intervention services, funding for commission on women, and funding for equal pay audits across local governments. I quote you, Alexander Hamilton, once again, I struggled to find the line of the Constitution that allows you to spend our constituents' money for benevolent reasons. It doesn't exist. They say, wow, you're cutting funding to these things. I say, cut it all. 
Let's cut it all. Let's play that song, Cut It. Just start snipping up the budget like crazy. Let's get the government out of doing these things that churches and nonprofits and other things can do very, very well. They already exist to do this. You don't need a commission on women. There's nonprofits that do this very well and are very effective that people give a lot of money to because they're so good at what they do that can propose the legislation changes needed for women. You don't need a commission on women to get it done. There's nonprofits who'll do it and propose that legislation for you. Trust me. I continue in the article. And when they weren't working on their completely uninspiring budget proposal, that's right, the government has to inspire you now. For some reason, I like my government being boring and not inspiring me at all. They were doing what they do best, attacking the governor and stripping of his ability to respond to the pandemic simply because they don't like him. Here's the, you know what's funny is you've got us who are attacking them for not doing enough. The DNC who's attacking them for doing Whatever. So, so let's look here. So they're currently in court fighting over the HB1, SB1, and SB2. Until that takes effect, the governor's powers haven't been stripped at all. But even if after they are stripped, all it simply says is, is that, hey, if you want us to spend laws, you got to talk to the, to the AG about it. If you want to declare a state of emergency longer than 30 days, you got to call a special session of the legislators to talk about it. And that's basically it. That's basically it. But they're stripping his, stripping of his ability to respond to the pandemic simply because they don't like him. No, they're stripping him of his ability to have powers is what they're trying to do. And they're not doing it because they don't like him. They're doing it because we never realized how much power that that position had until it got into this moment. We ran into a quote-unquote emergency that seems to be never-ending. Continue in the article. Republicans have chosen to prevent Governor Bashir from allocating funds from the American Rescue Plan without their approval. Instead of working with him to get these funds out quickly. Working with him to get these funds out quickly? Let's respond. Let's go back to uh, House Joint Resolution 77. House Joint Resolution 77 is nothing more than a thing to codify the uh, executive orders that they wanted to keep active if HV1, SV1, and SV2 were to take effect and make it to where the governor can't issue mandates anymore and his mandates would expire, that the legislator was approving of these mandates so that way they could continue uh, if, if without the governor needing to keep him going through his quote-unquote emergency powers or him having to call a legislator. They're saying, here, let's rubber stamp some so that way when it passes, you don't got to call us back into session right away. Because trust me, if you think this legislator, after we've just seen with their legislative season, like I said, it's not over and they got two days left. But if you think this specific Kentucky legislative uh, group that we currently have want to be called to do hard things like respond to an emergency, you are lying to yourself. They want to do their farthest thing they can from doing actual work, as evident based upon what their priorities were during this process. So they want approval. Why? Well, quite simply, the legislator is supposed to have power of the purse strings. It's one of the checks on the executive. But because, you know, 
we got to have a check on the executive. So, but, but the DNC here, continuing in the article, this will delay the process of providing vital relief to struggling Kentuckians and small businesses and serve no purpose than to politicize our recovery with the hope the governor calls a special session and they can spend precious taxpayer dollars lining their pockets at our expense. Whoa, that's a pot calling the kettle black there. Holy cow. So they just, they just, they, they did come out, they, they, they told you that they don't want the governor to have to call a special session so they can spend, choose how to spend taxpayer dollars, which is their right as a legislator. And then they say lining their pockets at our expense, which, um, um, the, the UK emergency field hospital who was paid several million dollars to set that up, but who was paid that? Was that not a friend of the DNC? Was that not one of Bashir's buddies he just gave money to? Wasn't there some no-bid contracts dealing with statue removal he just gave money to one of his buddies to do? But yet, you know, hey, we don't want them lining their own pockets. Like, you guys don't do the same thing. Continuing on, a budget is a mirror of priorities. Governor Bashir has invested... The people of this commonwealth, he's invested in destroying the commonwealth, maybe. Ensuring that we are prepared to win the future. Republicans are willing to let the people of Kentucky suffer to get one more dig at the Democratic governor because he dared to make tough decisions and saved lives. So let's pause there. Tough decisions. So we admitted he made tough decisions. So I think we can all admit, I think, I think you're all lying to yourselves if you can't for one second say that the COVID response has killed at least a person. Let's just say a person, just for the sake of this argument. Now, we've had a lot of articles, and we've talked and, and, and put out a lot of stats to cover exactly uh, some idea of the amount of people that have actually been killed by COVID policies. But to give you a great example, by closing indoor dining, when the number one industries people in recovery and drug recovery uh, recover from and work at and and work is a huge part getting a job is a giant part of recovery and i'm saying that not as somebody I, i've never been through recovery nothing like that but as a employer and as i've i've done second chance employment programs i have literally gone into recovery clinics and recruited people to do work because they know that's part of the recovery process and i believe in giving people second chances i believe in that personally and i acted out in my own actions by willing to hire people when I have situations where I don't have to worry about necessarily background issues or theft issues and I can hire them. And you see that a lot in restaurants too because you don't have to worry too much about a server stealing really because they have their own bank and everything else. And so it, it provides a low uh, uh, risk opportunity to hire people with maybe some questionable backgrounds where it doesn't expose the company to undue um, risk. So when you closed indoor dining, you put a lot of those people, those people in recovery at, out of a job. And in Kentucky, in Lexington alone, we've been seeing a decline in the amount of overdoses. But yet this year, the, and sorry, in 2020, initial numbers are stating that we've had 81 to 82 more ODs than we had last year after years of decline that's beyond that means there's literally 82 83 people who have died because of covid mandates just in lexington 
And you can't say they're unconnected because they're not. They're not unconnected. And so my point of saying that, so let's pretend you have a rock sitting on top of a mountain and it's rolling down a hill and you can divert its path and it's rolling towards a town of a thousand and and it's going to kill all thousand people. Or you can divert its path and you can save that thousand but kill a kill hundred. That's your only two choices. Divert it and kill a hundred or let it roll and it'll kill a thousand. On a moral side of things, as a government side of things, and I, this may be unpopular to some of you, but I believe morally speaking it is wrong to even touch the lever in the first place. Because the minute you touch that lever and you divert it towards a hundred, you didn't save a thousand people, you killed a hundred. I didn't start that rock moving, though. I didn't start that rock going down the hill. I'm not responsible for what that rock does. It's not my fault. And I think morally, the minute you think you even have the right to decide whether or not you kill a thousand or a hundred, I think we've gone too far. I think that's immoral, personally. Some of you may disagree with me. Some of you may agree. But I personally think we've gone too far and is morally reprehensible to think you even have the right to make that decision. Keep your hand off the lever and let the rock roll where it's going to roll. It's not your choice to make. He dared to make tough decisions and save lives. No, he put his hand on the lever and choose who lived and died. He traded lives. He didn't save lives. Finishing out the article here. They're more focused on punishing the governor than they are helping all of us and the Commonwealth recover and begin to build back better. Kentucky deserves better than this. It's the end of the article there. What's funny is, is as the Democratic Party pushes to do things, I always claim, oh, look at this Republican Party. Look at them. One thing I want to point out about the Republican Party and Democratic Party dichotomy here. The Democratic Party actually wants to do things, right? They want to do things. They want to uh, provide more welfare programs, universal health care, national level, minimum wage increases locally as, as a state and at a national level. Um, you know, provide, I don't know, housing for homeless people. I don't know. Just You can rattle down the list and they've got all these things they want to do. It seems like... The GOP's entire existence is not based upon doing anything, but rather trying and failing to prevent the DNC from accomplishing their goals. You don't see the Republican Party actually pushing for anything to roll it back. What has happened is the Democratic Socialists of America, DSA, have steadily been pushing the Democratic Party farther and farther and farther left. And meanwhile, whether it's through sheer uh, unwillingness to fight, lack of a spine, unable to acknowledge the fact that we are in a fight, the GOP hasn't bothered to even try to claw back things. Rather, they're just trying to prevent them from moving forward. That can't be the way we think about it because they will get it accomplished. The last two minutes of every football game, last two minutes before the half and last two minutes before the end of the game, about 80% of all the points scored in the games are scored during those last two minutes. That is when 
You see the defense roll out what? It's called the prevent defense. And studies have shown that instead of calling it the prevent defense, a better, more effective way to call it is the something like the punishers, the crushers. Right? Because what you're preventing, you're not stopping. And what the GOP is doing is preventing, trying to prevent the Democratic Party from moving forward. They're not fighting them. They're not crushing them. They're not passing their own legislation that drags that center back to the middle. Instead, they're sitting there and trying to prevent. And when it gets down to the last two minutes, they sure do seem to score a lot of points, don't they? No, instead, they should be responding with their own personal legislation. What do I mean by that? Instead of just saying, no, you can't spend that much, we need to drastically cut the budget. Instead of just saying, no, you can't spend that much, Governor, no, you need to drastically cut the budget. As much as they want to spend more than the budget, you cut it. As much as they want to raise the taxes, they're trying to raise it, you're trying to raise that middle down. Right, if we're at 10% tax, they want to raise it to 15, you're raising it, you're lowering it to 5. That's fighting. Or you're putting it at zero, my personal favorite. That's fighting. That's pushing us back to normalcy. That's pushing us back to where we've been. But the Republican Party has been compromising so darn long, they don't even know what they stand for anymore. They're not even bothering to push forward their own policies. Their only job is to tell the DNC no until finally the DNC gets their way. It's ridiculous. And the GOP's got to learn to wake up and go through it. Because they have a problem. The Kentucky State GOP has a problem. Their problem is people like me. We've got an event April 17th. We already have 60 people signed up for it. We're a month out. I had to up the number of tickets. I would have sold out over a month out if I left it at 50. I thought maybe I might get 50 people interested in figuring out how do we change the Kentucky legislators to not just be Republicans, but to be Republicans that love this country, love what we're doing, and want to actually push for policies, not just stand by and try to hold the DNC back. And I'm surprised by the response and amount of people signing up. And if the GOP doesn't sit back and realize that they need to stop just resisting and they need to start doing, then we might finally start making some headway. And it's funny to hear the Democrats post us as these terrible, awful radicals. Meanwhile, have we been moving farther left or farther right? Who's been winning? They're much better at this than you and I are. Or at least their people are. My new favorite saying, if the left didn't have a double standard, they'd have no standards. That moves us into loving your country. We need to start loving our country more. We need to proudly and loudly say we love our country. Because what's going on and what we're seeing, and, and, and I don't know if you guys are watching what China had said about us, and some other places, but, and, and you see it online, all the two people from other countries, 
attacking America for being this terrible racist place because we keep letting it be said. And I'm not saying there's not problems. There are. But you can't tell me we're a terrible racist place when when something terrible happens like what happened in Atlanta, we respond with universal condemnation, universal uh, uh, protests and rallies against racism. People, uh, companies start releasing their obligatory responses about racism. You can't sit there and tell me we're living in this terribly racist country when that's the way we respond to things. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Right? At the same time that we get told we live in a terrible country, we're also told we're terrible people for how we're treating our illegal immigrants. I don't know many other countries that had to deal with an illegal immigration problem quite like we do. We have people literally dying to get in here not just get away from where they're going and all the other countries in the world for the most part people are, are are possibly dying or risking a lot to get away from their country people are dying and risking a lot to come to our country they walk right through mexico to get here and i think our immigration system needs a lot of overhaul and i think there's a better way we can do it and that's a different discussion my point is is you can't sit there and tell us we're a terrible horrible country while at the same time attacking us and and deriding us because you don't like how uh, legal immigrants are being treated and like i said i think that's a discussion to have but without even asking yourself why are they here if we're such a terrible country i would say to people like aoc and to all those and and rashida talib and corey bush and all those people out there that are so outlined about how terrible and racist and bigoted and homophobe and terrible america is wouldn't the nicest thing to do to those illegal immigrants be to put them back in their countries that's not what you're pushing for, though. And I'm not saying that's the right thing to do either. That's a different, deeper discussion. My point is, is don't let them get away with telling you we're a terrible, awful country that you shouldn't like, while then they deride us for not letting more people in. If it's so terrible, shouldn't we be sending them back out? But it's not. It's a wonderful country. That allows people tons of opportunity. There is a privilege. You are born with a privilege. And that privilege is to be born in America. Thank you guys. Have a great day.